coming up on Life is a Festival. The key is this idea, sitting, not guiding. And that's the foundational responsibility of someone who is in psychedelic peer support. This is not psychedelic therapy. You are not a shaman. You don't actually know what this person needs. You are there to keep them safe, to model calm, to model breath, but to generally just be present. And what I've learned as I've explored more around psychedelic healing and my work with the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast is that part of what you want to do in this is to allow their nervous system to regulate with yours. But you don't do that through talking to them, through telling them what to do, through trying to guide their trip. You do that through unconditional friendliness. My name is Eamon Armstrong, and this is Life is a Festival. This podcast is a celebration of thinkers and leaders who live their lives with the open-hearted, experimental joy of a festival. Each week, we converse in complete openness, in an ongoing quest to find those boundaries in our being and melt them into lofty horizons. Life is a festival, only to the wise. Hello, my fellow travelers. I hope that you are peaceful and at ease. This is a challenging time of year for me. I get seasonal depression that kind of swoops in as the days get shorter. And then, thankfully, tends to dissipate a bit in the solstice. So I have a little bit of a low time. But it is not my first rodeo, and I have many tools. And so I feel more equipped than I ever have to weather these interesting lows. I'd like to do something different today than what I've done on the podcast in the past. I've only done one solo cast before and it was about my morning routine. But today I'm going to try something different where I'm just going to tell you all a story because I think it's instructive. And I've shared this with friends of mine at different times and particularly this story I've shared recently and I've gotten the feedback that there's a lot of really important information And what I'm going to talk about is psychedelic peer support. I've done a couple of episodes on the podcast specifically about this. One with Sarah Gale of the Zendo Project and another one with the Tea Fairy, both about trip sitting or psychedelic peer support. And I just wanted to share, as I think it might be instructive, my experience recently of doing psychedelic peer support at a party and just why I am grateful to be trained in psychedelic peer support, what that training consists of, and why I am always available for psychedelic service. And I think we all would do well to have these skills in our tool belt, especially with the psychedelic renaissance, bringing psychedelics to the mainstream and increasing droves. The thing is that psychedelics, in my understanding of how this works, psychedelics, in the way that they relax the default mode network, allow things that have been repressed to bubble up to the surface. And that's part of what we like about them and part of why uh, psychedelic medicine is so efficacious in dealing with things like depression and PTSD and things where we're sort of looping thought patterns. It can kind of destabilize those thought patterns and allow things to move through us. But that can also happen when we take psychedelics recreationally. And I think we've all heard of someone 
being on a bad trip or maybe we've experienced it ourselves. In psychedelic peer support, we reframe that as not a bad trip, but a difficult psychedelic experience. And in part, we reframe it that way because it can be an extraordinary healing process to have a difficult psychedelic experience. Some of my most potent educational experiences, particularly early on with psychedelics and recreational spaces, were in experiences that I would definitely refer to as difficult. But the way we're supported and the safety that we feel when that happens is of paramount importance. And so what I want to share with you today is how I approach someone having a difficult psychedelic experience. And maybe there'll be some lessons in this that can be helpful for you if you find yourself in this circumstance. And the first thing that I'll say is that the Zendo Project, which is part of MAPS, is a great resource to look at. They do trainings at festivals, but they also offer online resources. And so obviously you're not going to get a full scope from this podcast. Indeed, this podcast is being presented through the lens of the narration of my own experience. So I'm absolutely certain I will leave things out. Um, So the first port of call would be to check out the Zendo Project, and that'll be in the show notes. Also the Fireside Project, both extraordinarily helpful. And that is a, a hotline that you can call, and really amazing people have been a part of setting that up. So this is, by way, this is an introduction more than anything else. But I hope to give you some useful tidbits in this little solo cast today. So thank you for joining me on Life is a Festival. And I'm going to title this, How to Help Someone Having a Bad Trip, even though we don't really want to call them bad trips, but I think that this will be the most discoverable title. So here you are. This is How to Help Someone Having a Bad Trip. I am your host, Eamon Armstrong, and this is Life is a Festival. So, a couple weeks ago, I was at a party. I was at a house party in an undisclosed location. For legal purposes, let's just say that this did not occur within any legal jurisdiction, and it is provided to you for entertainment purposes only. I am not a doctor. I do not purport to be one, and I do not promise you that if you follow the steps that I have, that you will necessarily have an absolutely safe outcome. This is a matter of harm reduction and people are making their own sovereign choices. And what I am suggesting here is how you can support them with the choices that they have made. So at a party in an undisclosed location, and this was a party with a kind of varied audience. There were some seasoned psychonauts present. There were others who were newer to experimenting with consciousness in this way. It wasn't a particularly psychedelic party in its intention. It was not done with ceremony or intention setting. It wasn't about set and setting for a psychedelic space. But people were using psychedelics. As I'm sure if you're partying these days, people are using psychedelics in most vibrant party spaces. There was psychedelic use, and a young man attended this party. And I'm going to call him Cody. His name will be Cody for the sake of this podcast. I've just decided So Cody had attended this party, and Cody only knew one person at the party. We'll call her Tiffany. So Cody's friend Tiffany had invited him to this party, and he didn't know anyone but Tiffany. So he had arrived. I'd met him briefly amongst a lot of other people. I didn't know too many people at the party myself. Um, But I met him briefly, and he was a nice young man, and we didn't have much of a conversation. 
the party kind of progressed, and I was walking to the bathroom when I overheard two people talking, and they were talking about Cody. It was Cody's friend Tiffany, very distressed and looking for support in terms of what she should do because Cody was having a bad trip and he was in one of the bedrooms and he was very distraught and she was totally freaked out and she thought that maybe he was going crazy and she was really nervous about how to help him and she thought he might have some serious break with reality and she was you know particularly dysregulated herself I don't know if you have ever found yourself in a situation where this is in your field, but whenever I do, I have made a commitment that I'm always available for psychedelic service. And I am trained in psychedelic peer support, the training I got through the Zendo Project. I was embedded with the Zendo Project in 2015 at a festival called Envision in Costa Rica. Perhaps you've heard of it. I wrote an article, and I'll link it in the show notes, called I Did Psychedelic First Aid at a Festival in Costa Rica. Right? Kind of does what it says on the tin. I was at that time a journalist with Fest 300, a online guide to the world's best festivals and festival magazine that I was once the creative director of. And I had convinced my boss and mentor, the highly esteemed Chip Conley, to send me to Costa Rica to camp with the Zendo Project and to learn about psychedelic peer support, also known as trip sitting. And I spent the festival with the wonderful people at the Zendo Project. I did psychedelic peer support, trip sitting in the Zendo space at that festival. And then I wrote about 7,000 words about this process. And if you're interested and want to dive a little deeper in that article, I talk about the history, which I won't do today, but the history and the specific principles of psychedelic peer support. So I was armed with that training. And since that time in Costa Rica, I've also done peer support at other festivals, at Burning Man. And what's been so profound for me from the very first time I did it was recognizing how what an extraordinary gift it is to the sitter to be in service in this way, how much you learn and how powerful it is in connecting with another human to serve in that way. I think psychedelic peer support is so impactful for the sitter because in order to do it properly, the key is is to let your ego be completely to the side and show up in unconditional friendliness for the person in distress. And that experience of being in unconditional friendliness and service to someone who is going through a major psychological upheaval is extraordinarily edifying for you, the sitter. And that experience of letting love and care flow through you, but not intervening, not letting your ego get in the way, not trying to control, can be a really extraordinary growth experience. So I'm always available for psychedelic service. And what that means is that if I'm in a social environment and I become aware that someone is in psychological distress, generally, certainly, but as a result of taking a substance, I choose that I will set aside my night and my goals, what I had planned to do, and show up to be present for that person. 
And I have never, in the course of doing this, I've never regretted that choice. I've always felt that my night and my experience has personally been enhanced. And then I actually end up having a more joyful, connected experience for the rest of my time in that social environment and generally. So I'm always available for psychedelic service. Here's what that looked like in this case. So I overheard these two women talking and I approached them and I said, hey, I'm actually trained in psychedelic peer support. And I think that I could be of service here. I, I think that I may be, may be helpful. Would you be comfortable with me checking out this situation and, and potentially stepping into support? Of course, Tiffany was overjoyed. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say overjoyed. I don't think she was feeling a lot of joy in that moment, but she was certainly relieved. And um, she said, yeah, please, please, I, I would love your support. And so we came into the room together where Cody was clearly in a lot of distress. And I could identify right away that he didn't seem to be out of control in a dangerous way. He didn't seem to be violent, wanting to hurt anyone, wanting to hurt himself. And I think that's an important evaluation, first of all, because if someone is violent, if someone seems like or claiming that they will hurt others or hurt themselves, then you need to get someone else involved. You know, that's definitely above the pay grade of psychedelic peer support because it's peer support. You are a peer. You are showing up to hold space for them to heal through their distress. And if they might be violent, if there's real danger present, you need to alert authorities of some description. And it's not necessarily, the police are not necessarily the most helpful because they're not necessarily trained in this either. What I would recommend is if you are in that situation, I'll bring this up again on the podcast. There is a psychedelic peer support hotline recently launched called the Fireside Project. And they are helpful if someone is going through an experience and you can't support them, if you yourself are going through an experience, or if you feel like there's more going on that you can handle, they would be great to speak to. So as we approached Cody, he was very much in distress. And there was already a dynamic between Cody and Tiffany that I was able to observe where her distress and his distress was amplifying the mutual distress there was a lot of distress going on in the room. And this is something that's very common. Often, when you love someone who's in distress, your instinct is to fix it, to solve it. And when that distress is very intense, very amplified, then that can amplify this response in you. Something that I've learned in psychedelic peer support is that there's actually kind of an ego response to someone who's in particularly psychedelic distress, but in distress generally, where not only does your ego love and want to help this person, but your ego, my ego, let me speak about myself, my ego and what I've seen is that my ego wants to be the fixer, wants to be the helper, wants to be the hero even. You know, it's a heroic thing to come in and save someone, particularly someone who you care about. And so what I witnessed right away was this dynamic with Cody and Tiffany, where Tiffany wanted to help him, wanted to bring him down. So she kept, she was asking him, does he need water? Does he need this? And the message that she was sending him was kind of reinforcing there's something wrong. And I watched that he was receiving that as there's something wrong with me. And the content of his difficult psychedelic experience, which was kind of revealed later, was a lot about feeling exposed and feeling talked about and feeling that people thought there was something wrong with him. So in the way that Tiffany was trying to help him and totally coming from her heart was actually exacerbating his distress. 
So when I entered, it was important for me right away to establish trust and safety with Cody. And he didn't know me that well. So I didn't want to come in and take control of the situation. That would have also amplified the sense of things being wrong, that some sort of specialist had been brought in to, you know, I'm not a specialist, I'm a peer support person, but in his mind, someone brought in to fix him. Or So I entered the room in the way that is important with any kind of consent and checking in, checking in whether he was comfortable with me being there. And to start off, even though I felt like the dynamic between him and Tiffany was making things more intense, I didn't want to step in in an aggressive way and try to change anything. So at first, I was just present. And so as soon as I got there, I settled into what I like to think of in the context of psychedelic peer support as unconditional friendliness. So my role as a, as a sitter, and what I've learned over years of doing this, is to model the calm, the equanimity, the presence that I'm hoping the person suffering will experience, and to just show unconditional friendliness. I am just there, and I am just a friend, and I'm present. And so I entered the room, and with consent, I kind of set up myself on the bed. This is a good time for me to share the Zendo 4 principles of psychedelic peer support. Zendo Project has identified four key pillars, and the first one is to create a safe space. What the Zendo Project does is it creates safe spaces and festival environments, which is called like the Zendo, the Zendo Tent. And it's a cozy space. It's away from the music. It's a place that's held with a lot of intention, presence, love, care. There's there's availability of water and food, things you might need. It's cozy. There's cushions. So creating a safe space. So I already felt that Cody was more or less in a safe space in the context of the event. He was in a room that was away from a lot of noise. There were people kind of talking in the hall that was sort of triggering him. He was looping on the idea that people were talking about him. But there wasn't really anywhere to move him to that would have been calmer than where we were. So we kind of did the best we could with where we were. But this principle of creating a safe space is, first of all, the best you can do. And creating a safe space, this comes down to the set and setting principle of psychedelic experience. So a safe space is a physical location where someone is physically safe, where they're not too cold, they're not too hot. But there's also just how they're experiencing. So too cold, too hot, maybe they need a blanket, maybe they need to take off a sweatshirt. Maybe it's about changing the playlist, turning down the music. Maybe it's about changing the lights. But you want to just, without without looking like you're solving that something is wrong, to gently create a safer, calmer space. So creating a safe space is the first principle. The second principle, which I think is the most important, I mean, they're all important, but the key is this idea, sitting, not guiding. And that's the foundational responsibility of someone who is in psychedelic peer support. This is not psychedelic therapy. You are not a shaman. You don't actually know what this person needs. You're there to keep them safe, to model calm, to model breath, but to generally just be present. And what I've learned as I've explored more around psychedelic healing and my work with the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast is that part of what you want to do in this is to allow their nervous system to regulate with yours. But you don't do that through talking to them, through telling them what to do, through trying to guide their trip. You do that through unconditional friendliness. For me, it's just gently affirming whatever's going on. You know, it can be helpful. 
using your own judgment if appropriate. You can check in about whether they've taken something, whether they know whether they've taken something. You know, I think that it can be helpful to let them know that it's a psychedelic experience. It's, it may feel like time is slowing down, but time will pass and they're not broken. It's just a simple matter of a difficult psychedelic experience that will end. But in general, it's not about trying to guide them. And the key philosophical perspective here is that there is an inner healer at work and that what the psychedelic has done for this person is it's removed the brain patterns. The default mode network is the way that your brain has habituated kind of thinking about itself, which is often as a structure kind of holds certain sort of traumas or fears. It allows you to operate in the world. And it's very important that we have this to operate in the world. But sometimes we have things that need to move through us, pain, trauma, things that we need to experience. And often the psychedelic will create an opportunity for that. Something that seems to happen a lot is this thing about looping. I've definitely been in psychedelic experiences, many experiences where I've been looping, where someone will be stuck on a theme and it just seems to loop for them. And often a difficult psychedelic experience is looping on a problematic theme, a negative experience that just seems to loop. In my experience, and, and I've prefaced this before, but I'm not a doctor, I'm, I'm not a specialist, but I've spoken to to many, I'm grateful that I have through the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast and through Life as a Festival. But my understanding is that this looping will run its course and that it's actually part of the healing, that, that someone is looping on something that their system needs to release or that they need to come to resolution, that they need to figure out, and that the duration of the difficult experience is actually that process. And I've definitely known of many, many people, myself included, and people that I've sat for who later report that the theme that they were looping on ended up being of paramount importance to their personal development and that they achieved some insight through letting it run its course. And that brings us to the third pillar of the Zendo Project, which is talk through, not down. And the language used here is talk. And I think that that's really them talking and often talking isn't really the most important thing here. In fact, the most important thing is this unconditional friendliness and presence and safety. But it's not about talking them down. It's not about getting them out of or away from it. It's actually about creating the safety and the most comfortable conditions for them to go through it, to let it run its course, to let it show them what it is that they really want. So this mantra, which is from Lene Ponte, the, the former director of harm reduction at MAPS and the founder of the Zendo Project, that she repeats is trust, let go, be open, breathe, surrender. And, you know, it's up to you how comfortable you feel and the flow, but saying some encouraging things like this can be helpful. I tend to say as little as possible. I tend to smile and just be friendly, be open, and sort of go with their direction. But these are key sorts of ideas to just trust, to let go, to be open, to breathe, and to surrender. And unless you are a trained therapist, if someone is going through a trauma response, my understanding of this is that creating as much comfort and safety and allowing them to feel relationally safe with you is the best that you're going to do if you don't have any kind of formal training. Again, if you feel like this person is a danger to themselves or others, then you really need to reach out for more support. Again, I recommend the Fireside Project as there's a lot of training that the people on that hotline have and potentially calling a medical authorities if, if necessary. And then the final pillar, which is kind of where I started, is that difficult is not the same as bad. 
it isn't actually a bad trip. And in fact, a lot of whether something is bad or good, and you might argue that any matter of whether something is bad or good has to do with whether you call it bad or you call it good. And whether that's my own seasonal depression, I could do a whole podcast on whether I think it is bad or good that my mood is challenging during this time of year. Shakespeare writes, there is no heaven or hell, but thinking makes it so. And so it's not a bad trip. It's a difficult experience. And it's an experience that could end up being one of the best growth experiences of someone's life. And I will say that Cody then related to me that he had a really profound session with his therapist afterwards. And we'll get into the integration piece, but that the very themes that he was looping on were important themes in his life that he now had a deeper insight into, which I wouldn't say that this happens 100% of the time when someone's having a difficult psychedelic experience, but it's far more likely to happen that insight is achieved if you, yes, you listener, are able to sit with them and provide unconditional friendliness. So what did I do in that situation when Tiffany and Cody were frankly triggering each other? Well, I sat for a little while, I was present, and in a way that felt simple and easeful for me, I checked in with Tiffany and said, you know, I've, I think that I, I'm able to support here and it might be a good time to go explore the party a little bit. And I checked in with Cody, would he feel fine with me being present with him? And, and he agreed and Tiffany departed. And, and then it was, it was me and Cody. And you know, what's funny about, about this peer support stuff. Don't take anything personally. The person who you are with is having an experience that has so much to do with their entire lived experience. It has nothing to do with you. And so Cody didn't trust me. Cody was looping on the idea that everyone was talking about him. And he kept giving me this look, like this very distrustful look that frankly was a little triggering for me because here I was offering in service my night and he was looking at me like I was I was up to no good. And I remember just feeling like it would, it, I'd get a little tinge with it. Like I'd feel that like, what are, you, what are you looking at me like that for? I'm here to help you. But that's the moment where we do our work because my job there is to completely let my ego to the side and show up in unconditional friendliness. And that's unconditional friendliness. I'm friendly to you, oh, distressed Cody, who's giving me the most quizzical look of like, get out of here, what are you doing? But it's not about me. I sat with him for a while. And for me, it was just about like a meditation practice, returning to my breath, returning to trust, and just trusting that this process would run its course. And it did. And it did rather quickly. I could feel how he was beginning to get more lucidity and this this looping started to kind of settle down. And what I've experienced, as is often the case, is that the person who is in distress will hit a certain insight. And then the structure of this loop will start to disintegrate. And this is why the not guiding is important because if you're trying to guide them, you might steer them away from just that moment when that insight happens. And you know, I don't recall exactly the insight that he had. I don't know that he mentioned it explicitly, but our conversation began to change and he began to get a little more lucid and began to talk a little bit more about he was at a party where he didn't know anyone but one person. He had taken some mushrooms when he'd arrived. He'd taken mushrooms before. He'd never had a reaction like this. But he started to realize, okay, I'm not in some weird game show. 
I'm not this object of ridicule where everyone's talking about me. In fact, no one's paying attention to me at all except for this person who I don't know that well who's sitting in this room with me. And soon we naturally started to talk in a more linear way of speaking and I could feel that things had settled down. And, you know, you make your judgment about where you're both at, but at a certain point, is it time to return to the party? Do you want to stay here? Do you? What do you want now? And we got to a place where, yes, he wanted to return to the party. And, um, of course, I wanted to go with him and and not as a babysitter, but again, as an unconditional friend. And, you know, in the Zendo project, people come because either their friends bring them or they come themselves. But when it's time for someone to go, it's time for them to go. And it's time for them to continue their processing and integration. So we came to, back to the party. And at that point in the party, there was a there was a talent show happening. So it was easy for us to kind of sit in the audience. And we spoke for a little bit. Someone else came and talked. And, you know, he was clearly in a cogent state and was able to start having another conversation. And I was able to kind of continue on with my night. And we have our personal boundaries as well. And I was there socially and I wanted to have some experiences, but I continued to track him. And something that I think is so important to share is how good I felt after that experience. And I don't mean good like, oh, Eamon, you're a worthy member of humanity. You helped someone. I mean, the goodness that I felt in that I had had a reason to set aside my ego Now, I didn't share this at the beginning, but I actually wasn't having a very good night. I was feeling very stuck on myself. I was feeling very caught up in my own narratives of lack and and feeling like I wanted some kind of romantic connection at this party. I wanted something to happen that wasn't happening. But somehow, after those two hours that I spent in presence with Cody, I'd set aside my ego and I was in really nice flow. And I found that for the rest of the night, I just felt great. I just felt in flow. I felt much more connected to people. I was much more able to be present, to listen to other people. And I just felt a lot of gratitude for that. And of course, I checked in with Cody throughout the night. We all slept at the place that we were celebrating. It turned out that he was the only person driving to where I needed to go the next day. So I actually got to get a ride with my new friend and we got to talk about the experience. And because of my work in psychedelic medicine and and because of how many, many, many integration conversations I've had, I wouldn't by any means say that I'm any kind of integration coach, but I was able to talk shop and brainstorm with him a little bit about how he would make the most of this experience. And he was already beginning to see that the themes that he had been looping on were extraordinarily important to exactly that moment in his life. And I asked about his journaling practice. I asked how he typically processed things, whether he went for a walk in nature, whether he meditated, whether he talked to certain friends. He mentioned that he had a therapist that he felt really comfortable with. And I asked if he felt comfortable sharing this with his therapist. And he said, oh yes, actually, he'd be really interested. So he had a kind of integration structure afterwards and and a therapy appointment actually the next day. And later he reported to me that, as I said before in the podcast, that that therapy appointment was one of the most impactful that he'd had in his therapy. So that's the story of my recent experience of being present for psychedelic service. I'm available for psychedelic service because it can be 
profoundly re-traumatizing to have this kind of movement happen in an unsafe space. It can really cause more damage, I think. When I think of some of the harm that happened in the 60s and 70s with people on these beautiful psychedelic trips that kind of went sideways, and then they felt so unsafe, or maybe they were arrested, or and they got kind of like stuck. Again, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I don't, I'm not, I don't know that this is the reason, but it strikes me that many casualties of the first real wave of psychedelics in the modern Western context, those casualties were the result of not having the safe space to allow something emerging in the psyche to completely discharge and flow through and, and offer those insights. <sighs> the other thing about this way of approaching psychedelic distress that I think is so important and the note on which I want to end is as you've probably felt while listening that these principles are actually not just for someone having a difficult psychedelic experience. Actually, they're great principles for anyone you love going through something that's hard. And what I've found for me with my work in psychedelic peer support is that it's fundamentally changed the way I show up for people I love. Whereas in the past, with friends, and especially with lovers and partners, when I feel their distress, I want to fix it. And I want to show them that I love them by fixing it. That's really changed with this work. And it's changed in the entire way that I approach someone who's suffering. For example, I really love to say, how can I be of service to you? How can I help? Would you like me to listen? Or would you like me to offer some suggestions? May I offer a reflection? A lot of times when people are going through something, they really just want someone to be present and listen. And that's the case with psychedelic peer support. You're just present and you're listening and you're letting them know that they are loved with unconditional friendliness as they go through their process. And one of the great teachings, one of the great lessons from psychedelic peer support for me was that I can show up for people I love if I'm able to put my ego to the side, my need to be a hero, my need to fix, if I can put that to the side, I can actually just directly say, well, what do you need? How can I help? What's going on? Do you want a hug? Can I get you some water? What can I do? Because I love you and I just, I'm here. And that's a big difference from the kind of squirrely, okay, I gotta fix this. If there's something wrong, I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna be the one who fixes it. And for me, it's in addition to it being such a great lesson overall, is it's actually been part of my own exploration of what I consider to be more feminine aspects of my being. For me, and again, this is by no means meant to be gender essentialism, but for me, the, the desire to fix the problem is very much my masculine side. It's very much my father. It's like, oh, there's a problem? Well, let's fix it. That's what we do. And then the the feminine is, is the mama, is the like, oh, baby, come here. Let me hold you. Oh, that sounds hard. That sounds hard. I'm sorry. Let me hold you. And so in my exploration of this, it's really deepened and enriched my ability to serve all of the people in my life to be there for them. And it's also helped continue to blossom this beautiful yin feminine potential in me to just hold space, to just be present. And yeah, to experience the exquisite joy of letting love flow through me as a channel, through me as a vehicle of unconditional friendliness, where my aim and ego doesn't need to prove anything, certainly not at the expense of the needs of this person in front of me, but actually I'm able to set aside my personality 
and let this beautiful love and support flow through me and feel the benefits of that. So thank you for listening to my second ever solo cast. With the exception of pausing two or three times, this was actually just a flow. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was helpful. And I will point you to resources that are much sturdier and deeper than mine. But I I hope that this story of psychedelic peer support was inspiring to you and and maybe we'll give you some ideas the next time or if you find yourself in a situation like this or even if you find your own self in a situation of a difficult psychedelic experience and you have enough lucidity to ask someone to hold space for you in this way, you can communicate that. Or you can check out the Fireside Project even if you're in a solo experience and call someone who's been trained in this. So there are resources available. And on the final note, I just want to offer my heartfelt thanks to most of all Cody synonymously for trusting me and allowing me to hold space for him and for his friend Tiffany who just again synonymously who um, really just loved him wanted to do what was best and actually called me after the experience to ask if I could talk to her about what she could have done differently such a such an inspiring desire to learn. Thank you, Tiffany. And thank you to everyone who was at the party and encouraged me to do this solo cast. And as ever, thank you, my fellow travelers, listeners to Life is a Festival. Your messages, your engagement with me and and my social media and the way that you respond to this podcast is an enormously ah, validating part of my life. And especially during times like this, when my moods are a little less reliable, it's such a joy to hear from you and to hear how this podcast has touched your lives and to tell me what you'd like to hear more of. So, you know, if you're not in the Life is a Festival Facebook group, we have a Facebook group. You can follow me on Instagram at Eamon Armstrong. Thanks for being part of this journey and may all of your psychedelic experiences provide meaning and growth and may the difficult ones be no more than what is perfect for you in your stage of growth, as I'm sure they ever are. Keep dance in, keep moving. And uh, in the words of the German poet Rilke, keep going for no feeling is final. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Life is a Festival. If you liked the show, you can support it by sharing it with your friends, following it on Spotify, or reviewing it on iTunes. If you'd like to get more involved, you can join our Facebook group, Life is a Festival, where we talk about the show and you can suggest new guests. If you really liked the show and maybe want a little bit more, visit my digital tip jar at patreon slash lifeisafestival.com. Whatever you do, I hope today's podcast helped you make your life just a little bit more like a festival. And I'll see you on the dance floor.